0: Hello, hello. Good morning, everyone. That is the type of energy we need this morning. Am I right? Um, it has uh, been such a fun Sunday to see the kids singing. I saw some Oscar-winning performances. And I think that the future of the worship team looks bright. I don't know if you'd agree with me, Zach. So uh, We're super excited about that. Um, speaking of Kids Sunday, well, is, it, is this me? Is this me? Am I good, Peter? Okay, thanks. So speaking of Kids Sunday, I just personally wanted to uh, thank you all and just appreciate you all, especially for your kindness towards me and my wife, Cassie, as we prepare to have our first baby due next month. So we're super excited about that. Um, It's a big season for us, and we really appreciate all you, especially your support for us in the youth ministry and your support for Cassie um, through this whole time. So with that being said, we are going to be going through a very exciting passage of scripture today that was already read for us by the kids. So um, please turn with me to the gospel of John chapter one. That is where we are going to be. Today we're going to be talking about One of my favorite Christmas stories, a Christmas story that uh, discusses things that we sing about all the time, like Jesus being the light of the world. Um, Yeah, so uh, if you want to know a fun fact about me, or to some of you, a not-so-fun fact, is that I have always been interested in the very fun subject, wait for it, math, right? And I'm shocked that you guys aren't giving a little more energy to you know, this topic, I'm shocked, right? A lot of you may be thinking, Caleb, I couldn't disagree more, right? Um, And I see where you're coming from there, but the subject of math always interested me. I, um, throughout high school, throughout college, uh, it was very interesting to me. Me and my brothers, we had kind of this mutual relationship where we all played baseball in high school, and what kind of happened was my brothers would my younger brothers, they, like, even if you talk to them today, they'll, they'll say things like, oh, yeah, Caleb was really good at baseball, right? And they'll, you know, talk about, for example, I got cut from varsity, and they'll be like, wow, that was rigged. How did that happen, right? And in return, I would help them with their math, so they would stay academically eligible for baseball, right? And it's a great little trade for me. Um, and, but what I found about interesting about math was actually not the subject, but it was what its effect on people was. I'm sure you've noticed this before. I noticed this even since I was a little kid, is that it brought such intense frustration on almost everyone, and everyone has to do it. It was so funny to me. Maybe I'm just a a messed up guy. I would see my friends, like, for example, come to school, turn in their math homework, and it was crumpled up, and I'm like, what happened? And they're like, well, I got mad. I yelled at my dad. I threw my math away, and he made me get it, and here we are, right? And um, I'm sure you see this, like, all the time. In fact, I believe that if you do not believe in humans being sinful, I challenge you to try to tutor your struggling child or grandchild in whatever math they're in, and you'll find yourself, not only see the sin of your kid, but also your own sin, your own anger, right? The depths of your anger will come out, and so that's why I find math interesting, so I don't know if you can relate with that, Um, but I think through this process of things like math or things that we find challenging, sometimes we convince ourselves this very bad habit that if something is difficult for me to understand, then it does not matter for me. And uh, throughout, I've tutored a lot of kids, and a lot of times they'll ask me questions like, what is the point of this math homework? Why should I do this? I'm never going to be an engineer. I'm never going to be a statistician or something like that. And that's a little bit more difficult question for me to answer with regards to math. But today we're going to talk about something that is way more difficult than the subject of math, but way more important. And so I need us to go in with the right attitude in saying that maybe there are some things in the Bible that are difficult. Maybe there's some things in the Bible that we're actually learning about who God is. And so this is challenging for us as humans. But I want us to see that this is the most important thing that we could ever learn about. I want you to think about what question is more important that explaining the question, who is Jesus? And that is what we're going to talk about today. So um, if you could with me, we will be in the Gospel of John. We're going to be starting in verse 1. We're going to be going mainly through the first five verses today, but I'm going to read the first 18 so that we could really get what this first chapter of John is talking about. So if you would, please stand with me in the honor of God's word. All right, we have a John 1, verse 1. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came to witness, as a witness, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And he was in the world, and the world was made through him. If the world did not know him. He came to his own. John bore witness about him as he cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side he has made him known. You may be seated. Um, Let's begin today by praying that God would help us understand what the scripture says here concerning the person of the word that was made flesh. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. I thank you so much that you are a good God, Lord, that you are the word made flesh. Lord, please help us understand uh, these topics about who you are, Lord. As humans, we get to understand we get to see a window into who you are, your full glory, your full power um, throughout this Christmas season, Lord. Please help us remember this. Please help us um, be praying that all might know your name and the glory of you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as we get started here, uh, this gospel was written by the Apostle John, and this gospel is a very interesting gospel. Um, It was written in, likely written, in the 80s, right? Not the 80s that I'm sure many of you loved, but the 80s in the first century. So this is around 50 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And the reason this is important is because John is one of the 14 apostles. And yeah, at this time, it seems like all other apostles have been dead for approximately 20 years. And all the three other gospels have been written by this point. I, one of the most interesting things about John that I think about, is it's pretty sad, but it's, um, it's just kind of an interesting... Uh, lesson for ministry almost uh, is uh, you you may know um, John was the brother of James and I always kind of picture them in the gospel as their brothers they're kind of like best friends and I bet after you know the resurrection of Jesus they're fired up for the ministry like let's go preach the the gospel to the nations and James is first one to die crucified uh, pretty soon and so at the time this letter is written, James has probably actually been dead for like 50 years. This is, this is so interesting. And um, by this time, it's starting to get a little bit removed from the actual events of Jesus. And so because of that, there is a lot of false teaching that is growing right um, in Christian circles, circles that claim to be Christian. And there are circles that are distorting what the true Jesus is. And um, I'm sure there's none of that today, right? I know, for sure. But um, there was this concept where people would take the true Jesus and they would make him either less God than he was, less man than he was, make up something that's not true about him. And again, this has continued. This is a common pattern. started, you know, as soon as Jesus was alive. And we are continuing it this generation. People are abusing the name of Jesus, saying they believe in some sort of Jesus, but not the real Jesus. And this is actually, uh, unfortunately, continuing today. There's actually a study that came out by Lifeway Ministries 2022 this year. And they did a poll of evangelical Christians, right? These are... Not, these are people we would identify with. And it said they were to react to the question, Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. And true Christians, 0% would agree with this. We would, we would aggressively disagree with this. Um, but it says that 40%, 43% of Christians actually agreed with the statement, right? And that number should scare us because in this survey, 43% of Christians are 100% not saved. And uh, this is the attack going on around Jesus, right? I mean, even if you read the Gospels, um, John's Gospel is very different from the other three because he is defending all these attacks upon the person of Jesus, right? And so today, the Christmas story, we're going to look at the deity aspect of Jesus, the Jesus that you can't just pretend. Like, for example, A lot of people like to read the other three Gospels and twist them to mean what they want to mean. For example, people will read the book of Matthew and they will say, wow, Jesus was a great teacher. They'll read the book of Mark and they'll say, wow, I love the selfless servant example of Jesus. They'll read the book of Luke and say, wow, isn't Jesus such a kind and compassionate person? Which we would agree with all that. But if you think that is all Jesus is, then you are not a Christian. And that is the message for today, and that is what John is going to address very specifically. So um, today, we will be specifically covering John 1, 1 through 5, and we will be learning about three characteristics of the Word made flesh, so that you may understand and praise Jesus for who He truly is and will always be. So. Um, let's get started. With that, if you have your Bibles, we are going to be beginning in verse 1. So, um, we start out this chapter. Let's read verse 1. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So, the main, uh, the main topic of to the day is the identity of the phrase, the Word. And if you've ever heard this passage before, if you've been in church, um, most people will explain to you and see correctly that this word is talking about Jesus Christ, right? So uh, we know that because later it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That would not fit if it was talking about scripture, right? And scripture did not become flesh. And then um, later it explains that the law was given through Moses, but grace and peace were given through Jesus Christ. And so It's revealing to us that this is not talking about the scripture, as we sometimes use the word of God. It's talking about Jesus Christ, and there's actually an interesting passage in Revelation 19. This is actually when Jesus Christ returns to earth to judge, and here's what it says. Uh, This is Revelation 19, verse 11. It says this, "'And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True.' And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His flames are like a flame, or his eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems, and his he has a name written that no one knows but himself. Listen to this: he has a cloth, uh, he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. This is very interesting. This is a theme that continues through the rest of Scripture. It's clearly talking about Jesus. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is, John, why would you do this to us in trying to confuse us? Why would you not just say, in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God? And so that is actually a very deep question. This is probably, explanation-wise, one of the most important things from John 1 that you can understand, because once you understand the meaning of the word, then you can actually begin to understand what the depth of what this passage is talking about, why this is so interesting, not only for that time, but for the time today, right? Because we don't use this phrase in the same way. So um, there are two main people groups that Jesus or uh, really John would have been talking to at the time. They are the Jewish group and the Gentiles or the Greeks, you could say. And um, so... There are two meanings, really, that John is trying to convey to us by using the word rather than using Jesus. So let's first talk about the Jewish definition. This is probably the primary definition John is going for. And the, if you want to do an interesting— there's a lot of really interesting Bible studies that can come out of this passage. If you want to do an interesting study, um, look at the use of the word in the Old Testament— And the Jews knew their Old Testament very well, and it was really a phrase that was the means by which God interacts with humans, the means by which God shows his power and wisdom. And when the Jewish audience would have heard this, they would have thought of a lot of events, and namely one I'm sure you've heard, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but even in the Genesis 1 account, it doesn't just say God created. It says, God said, let there be light. God said, and he uses his word to create the world, which is an interesting phrasing because that's what the Jews would have thought. They would have thought of creation. They would have thought of God's covenant with the nation Israel. It would say, my word has spoken. This is a common phrase in the Old Testament, Um, it would would refer to Israel's relationship with God, that through God's word, you may have communication with Yahweh, the one true God. Um, Another uh, ways the word is used is to denote the fact that a prophet was speaking. So basically they would say that um, my word was spoken through the prophets. And so this was this, uh, this kind of way of explaining God's communication with the nation of Israel. And then lastly, sometimes the word is used to talk about guidance for the nation or the true wisdom, which actually is going to get into the next definition we talked about. But there's actually real depth in John saying in the beginning was the word, right? Jews would read that and they would say, wow, you're talking about the word? And that is what John He's trying to communicate to us, and I think sometimes, as far as this communication, this connection, this source of God's power, in modern days, people try to get around Jesus to be happy or to have this connection with God. There's, like, common, uh, like, for example, people will say, I don't need Jesus. I just submit myself to a higher power, and that is how I live life, and I feel good about myself. And I live my life correctly. Um, and even prayer to a certain extent. Why do we pray in Jesus' name? Because we know that through Jesus, we have this connection, this communication with God. Just like, just like in the Old Testament. And additionally, like I was even looking up before this. I was like, how many, I didn't even realize this, but basically every single, like Hollywood actor, Hollywood singer, they'll say, oh yeah, for sure I believe in a higher power, Right. I was even like looking up quotes on this. I was, I was like, Katy Perry. Oh, okay, cool. Everyone here, right? Everyone here believes in a higher power, but they cut out the word made flesh, Jesus Christ. And this is a problem. This is, this is what, that John is really attacking these false beliefs that not only existed then, but exist now. So the secondary meaning, the Greek definition, what would Greeks think when they see this word, the word. Um, And they believe, this is really the definition of it, is they would believe this is the rational principle by which everything exists. A little Greek lesson for you today. Um, The word is, using the Greek, it is logos. And through this word, we get the word logical, right? Which is very interesting. Um, And When in the Greek, or when in in Greek culture, people would say, this is the word, they're saying, this is the true reason, this is the true philosophy, this is the true, actual, rational way to live. And I think that's very interesting, because we live in a culture, I don't know um, whose fault this is, but we live in a culture where people see Christians as, oh, you're a Christian if you are emotional, or you are a Christian if you are not a thinker. Uh, There's a quote from an American author, um, Ernest Hemingway, and he says this, All thinking men are atheists. And we have this culture that if you are a Christian, you are not a thinker. And John, he is fighting against this. Even um, we have, back then we have today, we have this movement of rationalism. I use rationalism with quotes, right? And um, this rationalist movement, they feed themselves propaganda thinking that they are rational or more intelligent because they do not believe in God or rather more, they do not believe in Jesus as a Christ, right? And I, 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 there, here's truly how I feel about these people is I don't know if you've ever had someone around you who's like going through a rough time and who's just losing their mind, but they will tell everyone. They'll be like, I'm a clear thinker. And then there's this awkward silence because you're like, okay, okay, right? And that's truly how I feel about these people. Even, I'm sure you've heard, the Satan Club, right? And um, obviously it strikes fear into you know the hearts of especially parents when there's a Satan Club meeting at an elementary school. But if you look into the movement, it is based on this rationalism, right? It's based on people saying that I am smart because I follow what is rational. And so um, even they'll will, they will define it and they'll say, I live based on the findings of science and, the, and personal reason, what I personally logically think, uh, which is weird to me because every time I learn about science, I learn about complex design. I learn about something that's perfectly designed, something that is difficult to design, something that I'm sure just happened by chance. And even if you look into it, I mean, currently millions of fossils have been discovered, and we're still waiting on the fossils to prove the theory of macroevolution. And so... Anytime I have an argument with someone about this, I say, okay, well, if we're to stand still, let's pick up this argument in 10 years and you'll see the exact same thing. No new evidence has been found for these atheist theories. And as far as personal reason goes, right, I'm sure it's very reasonable to ignore, for example, the lack of contradictions in scripture, the fulfilled prof- prophecy, the manuscript evidence we have in scripture, the historic testimony of the early church movement, the archaeological accuracy of the Bible, or even the scientific alignment with the Bible, right? I'm sure it's very logical to ignore these things. Great job, rationalists, you know? Um, and there's actually an early church figure I find pretty interesting um, about this. His name was Justin Martyr, and this man probably died around uh, 60, 70 years after the Apostle John did, And what's interesting about him is Justin Martyr was a Greek philosopher who started in Greek philosophy, right? You think Plato, you think Aristotle. He started in Greek philosophy, and he was searching for the true word, the true logos. And he found that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only true, rational, logical word for you to follow. And so he made it his his life's mission to try to convince the Greeks that you are not following the Logos if you are not following the gospel of God. And he was actually killed uh, for his faith. He was martyred for his faith in Rome. And when asked to recant his beliefs, he said this this is one of my favorite quotes. He says, No one who is rightly minded turns from true belief to that which is false. And I love that because not only do we, we believe, that Jesus loves us. We don't, we don't believe in Christianity because Jesus loves us. We believe in Christianity because Jesus is true, because Jesus is the one true God. We aren't just blindly following. We do not have blind faith. We have faith in the one true God, the Word, the true reason. And so I'd have to agree, right? The true ris- wisdom, which is actually rational, is for you to believe in the Word made flesh, right? And I want you to realize that if you are denying Jesus or who Jesus is, this is the most irrational, bad decision you will ever make in your life. So now that we understand what is the Word, let's get into what are the qualities of the Word, what is impactful about the Word. So um, if you would look back in verse 1, we are given three qualities about the Word. So it says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, or in the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we first have the explanation of the timeless existence of the Word, and whenever I say the Word, it means Jesus Christ. And says this, in the beginning was the Word, and if you were just to read the three words in the beginning, you would not be sure if we're going to Genesis, or we are going to John 1. And that is the whole point, is that John is explaining that Christmas, that Jesus Christ was not just born into the world, and that was his first existence. The person, the Son of God, was in the beginning. Was in the beginning. That means before creation, right? So he's hinting at us, how, what is Jesus actually claimed to be? Like Jesus wasn't just a normal baby who was born in a manger. Jesus just wasn't a good teacher that was visited by some wise men or some kings, but Jesus was in the beginning, right? That's the first clue he gives us. Um, Second clue, it says this, and the word was with God. So this is an interesting passage because it is actually highlighting a difference between God, the Father, and the word, right? Right? And it is used for us to differentiate between the persons of God. We believe in the Holy Trinity. We believe that we worship one God in three persons, being the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this passage gives us a clue or tells us about that. It says, the Word was with God. And this is actually talking about that in the beginning, there was this relationship between the Son and the Father, right? It was this relationship um, it's very interesting to study, for example, the relationship between the, the Trinity. Like, there's this close relationship, there's this loving relationship. A bit confusing to understand, but this is what it's, it's hinting at. It's saying there was this intimate relationship between the Word and God. So, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? This is something we are going to focus on a lot, because This is not only a passage that's extremely, a phrase that's extremely important, but it is one that is under attack. And so we're going to have to talk about it a little bit, right? Um, So this verse explains that the word Jesus is not just existing from the beginning or existing with God, but that Jesus was actually fully God. And again, we as Christians believe in the Trinity. This is a necessary thing to believe in, to be a Christian. And so, um, let's talk about the alternative viewpoint. I'm sorry if I get a little bit into the grammar of this, but if I do not get into the grammar here, then guess what? Our friends who knock on the doors, Jehovah's Witnesses, will get into the grammar with you. So, let's look at this. So, uh, the alternative translation for this would be very different. It says, the word was a God. This would be the translation from the New World Translation um, that the Jehovah's Witness use. So let's talk about the support uh, for this view. Why could this view make sense? So a couple things is they will tell you um, that if the Christian view of the word was God were true, then it would use the article being the, right? In the Greek, there is no the And so they would say that there is an A implied, right? I know we're talking nerdy here, but this is exactly what they're going to tell you. And to be honest, this is a grammatical possibility. In the Bible, there are a couple times where you would add A to a similar sentence. So let's really talk about why we think that is not only heresy, but that is not possible for this verse. So if someone comes up to you and says, guess what? The word was a God. The A is implied. Here's what I would tell you. First thing is that the, the Jehovah's Witnesses, they will teach that this verse is talking about the Word was a God, meaning the Word was a form of divinity, meaning in Jesus there was divine life through how he lived, through you know, how nice he was to people, and how good of a guy he was, right? And we, as Christians, we give strong pushback this idea that it's just saying Jesus had some sort of divine quality. And why is that? One is because in Greek and in English, if you say God, it means God. If you say divine quality, it means divine quality. There's a word that is used in 2 Peter 1 4 that would work great for this if John was trying to tell us that Jesus had some sort of divine quality. Just like you and me could have divine quality if we follow God, right? And so, I would give strong pushback on that. And then secondly, they will say there is no the before God, which is interesting they say that because I guess they don't understand what we believe because it says, well, listen to this phrase. If, if it said that the word was the God, we actually do not believe that, right? Because that is a denial of the Trinity. That is saying that God is Jesus alone, right? And this also actually teaches against a false uh, doctrine that some people believe, where there's different modes of God. For example, sometimes he's God the Father, and then he switches to God the Son, and he switches to God the Spirit. That is not true. This verse would push back against that. And so if John added a the in front of it, that would be heresy. That would be not true. And then, uh, this is very, very interesting. So, so how do we tell which one is which? And the really main way that you tell when translating is the context, right? Um, There's a rule where if the structure is similar, most of the time the translation will be like we as Christians translate it, but sometimes the A will be added, right? But what's interesting about this is even in their own Bible, they do not always follow this rule. Shocker. Are you saying, Caleb, that they just pick and choose when they want to add this to support what they believe? Yes, this is true, right? Right? I'm even an example. This is out of the New World Translation. We don't love this, but um, this is what verse 6 says, right? There came a man who was sent as a representative of God. This is literally in the same chapter. Not of a God, of God. This is the exact same construction. They want to bring up John 1, 1 to you, but they don't want to bring up any of these other ones. For example, even in John 1 verse 12, it says this, however, to all who did receive him, he gave authority to become God's children, because they were exercising faith in his name, and they were born not of blood, but of fresh, uh, fleshly will, or of man's will, but from God. God is mentioned twice here, in the exact same way, guess what? No A, right? They don't, they don't put that in. Shocking, I know, right? Shocking, they're not consistent. So Let's look at why we do believe that Jesus was God, even contextually, in the book of John. Um, They will claim to you, and they will say that Jesus only declares himself to be a son of God, and that does not make him equal with God. That does not make him a God at all. It simply makes him originating from God, right? Well... Our friends, the Jewish leaders who persecuted Jesus Christ, right? We normally don't like them. But in the book of John, they're actually very helpful for explaining because they actually understand what Jesus was trying to communicate. Um, John 5, 16. It says this, right? This is not Jesus speaking. This is the Jews explaining exactly what he's saying. It says this, And this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath... But he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God, right? Well, somehow the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they understood what Jesus was saying. But I guess this is twisted in modern days. There's other verses to support this. In in, uh, John 10, the same things happens. They are looking to stone Jesus, and the Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but it is for blasphemy, blasphemy because you being a man, make yourself God, right? This is the Jewish leader is giving support for exactly what Jesus was trying to communicate here. Um, so why does he do this, right? It's because it's so necessary for you all to understand that Jesus was not only just a good person, but Jesus was God. Let's look at verse two. It says this, he was in the beginning with God. So John wraps up the statement in a poetic way, and he really summarizes and kind of repeats what he already said, is that this Jesus, whom you hear of, this was not only a good man, this was a person who was from the beginning, and who was with God, and who was fully God. So let's look at, we see who the Word is, the identity of the Word. Let's see what the work of the Word is. Let's look in verse 3. It says this, All things were made through him, and without him, Was not anything that was made. So it's not only saying that Jesus was just Jesus Christ was just hanging out, right? Not just present for creation, but it actually says that that Christ, the Son of God, was an active agent in a hands-on sort of way, in the creation of the entire universe. And this is supported to us by, for example, Colossians 116 it says this, "For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And it says this negatively, showing us without him was not anything that was made. again, he was fully God in the sense of being equal with God and also active. In the creation of the entire world. So we started off, we see the true identity of the Word. We see that He is in the beginning with God and is active in the creation of the entire world. And there's actually um, an interesting thing that you can point to if you want another interesting study to look at. If you're trying to understand the Trinity, you're trying to understand what is the difference between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Um, A lot of times, it shows this by the word used to describe. So for example, verse three says this, all things were made through him. And so sometimes you'll see in the New Testament, especially, it'll say something like of God or by God, through Jesus in the Holy Spirit, right? There's, and this isn't a rule that lasts all the time. But for example, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And this is just kind of a cool uh, thing if you want to study that later. If you want to try to understand the clues we have to try to understand the Trinity, which is um, tough to understand, but this is a clue of it, is that all things were made through him. He was the agent that, that was creating the heavens and the earth. So let's look at uh, verse 4 and 5. It says this, "...in him was life." And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So we hear that who is the Word? We hear about His role in creation, and that we see that the Word is the giver of life and light, as the kids have already read for us and sung about. So what in the world does this mean, right? Um, so first thing we're going to talk about is life. What does it mean that Jesus Christ gives life? And we often think about this in two senses, right? One, we think about more because again, maybe your first verse you ever learned was John 3 16, where it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So most of us think about life as it pertains to salvation. Life, meaning that through accepting the gospel, we can be saved, which this is talking about that for sure, but it's also talking about creation. It's talking about in him was life in creating everything, that Jesus Christ was the agent, the giver of life, actual physical life to the universe. And that is a very profound um, point to make, right? And then we see, it says this, in him was life, so Not only creation, not only salvation, but both of them. And it says this, The life was the light of men. This is your third, I guess, homework for today, to study light in the Bible, right? Um, We see light in a lot of areas. We see, for example, God saying, Let there be light. Spoke out of his word, let there be light. What a a play on words John is doing here. Um, But... uh, this is what 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says. This is such a great verse. It says this, For God said, let light shine, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is the light, not that just light was created, but that the goodness of the gospel would be shown to the world. Um, this next verse says this, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And in this meaning, we're definitely moving towards a salvation related meaning. We're definitely moving towards seeing Jesus as the bringer of the good news, the gospel. And uh, there's a couple ways this could be taken, right? It says this The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it, right? So in the Bible, light and darkness often talk about the goodness of God versus the evil that is against him. And sometimes it talks about even the truth being shown. And it says this, the darkness has not overcome it. There's two ways we can take this. First of all, it does say overcome in a lot of your translations. And overcome would definitely apply because there is no defeating Jesus Christ. There is no way Satan and his demons will ever win. They have lost the battle already. And we as Christians, have victory through Christ. The Bible does teach this. And however, the second way that it could be taken, I think is maybe a, little, maybe a little bit more somber. And I think this is very fair too. Sometimes it says the darkness has not recognized it. And I think this is something key for what John is trying to say. Um, if you go back to First. Uh, Corinthians 4, if you want to be, or sorry, 2 Corinthians 4, if you want to have an encouraging day, I would read that. It says this, in their case, the God of this world, that is talking about Satan, it says this, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of God, which is who is the, uh, the image of the invisible God. And so This is also what it's talking about. It's saying that the Word, who came flesh, came to the world to bring good news, to bring victory, to bring light, to bring life, and yet most of the world did not recognize Him, right? And that's the sadness of John's Gospel, is that the one true God had come to earth to save sinners, to call to eternal life, and most people reject this life that is given, and most people do not see God. So to wrap up for today, I want you to think about real quick in your mind, what in the world do you see as the danger in the world right now? As you see the world that we live in, as you turn on the news, what do you see is the true danger in the world? And this Christmas, I want us to not only think of the hurt that's going on in the world, I don't want to think of the poverty, but I want us to specifically realize the incredible denial of Jesus as God. People twisting the scriptures to make Jesus this some sort of nice person, this, this good prophet, but not truly God. First John verse 2 or chapter 2, verse 21. It says this, and it's talking about um, what in the world is Antichrist in the world, right? It's, it's talking about there are many antichrists in the world. And here's what it says: it says this: Who is the liar but he who denies Jesus as the Christ? says this, this is the Antichrist, who he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever confesses the Son has the Father as well. And so I want us to realize the true danger going on in the world is that people do not believe in the Son of God. Right? People reject the true Son of God bringing the gospel to the world. And so, um, as we review, as we review uh, this verse we went over today, we talked about the word. We talked about how important that meaning was in both God's relationship to the world and also the word being the true, rational thing we need to follow after, right? A lot of people today will say, if you're smart, you're an atheist. But John would say, no, definitely not true, if you are making bad decisions, you are an atheist. If you are a logical person, you accept the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, we also talked about the Word being fully God. And we also talked about the Word's role in creation. That, that Christmas did not start on Christmas Day, but it actually started in the beginning where Jesus Christ was. And then uh, we also talked about the Word as the giver of life and light. That through the word, life came into the world and eternal life is given freely to all who believe. And we talked about how Jesus Christ gives light to the world, right? That Jesus Christ, the light of the gospel, has shined out of the darkness. And unfortunately, many people do not believe that. So a, a couple points of application for today. What is your takeaway? How can you live in light of this? First of all, I want you this is the first application. Is I want us to be people who actively are praying, especially around Christmas time, for these groups who do not recognize Jesus as God. Uh, for example, we have—if you have atheist friends, if you have Mormon friends, if you have Jehovah's Witness friends, if you have Jewish friends, if you have Muslim friends who maybe say Jesus was a good person, but do not say he's God, or maybe. There are those who outwardly practice Christianity but do not actually accept Jesus as God. As we celebrate Christmas, I want us to understand that we need to pray for these people and pray for repentance and actually turning to the one true God, Jesus Christ, um, and that they might believe and turn away from their false gospel. Um, second thing, I want you to uh, us to do a bit of a self reflection as far as do you see Jesus Christ for actually is do you praise him fully for who he is as fully God, creator of the world and bringer of the light of the gospel and do you actually look to him as the true Word that became flesh or do you look elsewhere? And then my last point for the day is: Are you thankful? This Christmas and all the time, are you thankful for the light and life given through Jesus Christ in creation through his ministry on earth and forevermore? Are you thankful for the person of Jesus Christ who we worship, who we believe in? So uh, as we as we close, I'm just gonna close this in prayer that we and the rest of the world would recognize this truth, these truths that we learned today. So bow your heads with me. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for... This day, Lord, I thank you for uh, the gospel of John, explaining to us clearly the Christmas story, explaining to us who you truly are. Lord, as the word made flesh, bringing light and life to the world, active in creation, fully God, we pray for those who reject the gospel of who you truly are, Lord. We, p- we pray for those who seem like Christians but are faking it because they do not truly believe you are God, Lord. So we love you so much. Um, We pray for repentance in the world and true belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ, your son. We love you in Jesus' name, amen.